Live from ClickOrlando.com, this is News 6. This is a News 6 Plus takeover. Here now is Matt Austin and Ginger Gadston with Florida's Fourth Estate. Hey, welcome back to Florida's Fourth Estate. So glad you are with us. And today we get the rare opportunity to talk to a human being who has been into space. In fact, the first human being ever born in a place called Alaska, pretty much as far away from Florida as you can get and orbit uh, the area. But because space is such a big topic, Gigi, we'd like to get a grip on the space industry, where this thing is going and how it all takes place. So glad you're here, Ginger. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is very cool. You know, my geek meter started going when I heard that we were going to have this guest on because it's just so exciting. I've never course, seen your geek meter run out. So I don't know. It's <laughs> that thing's full all the time. It's never going to. It's <laughs> never going to. The person we're talking to uh, just recently returned back here to Earth uh, from spending 10 days in orbit on the International Space Station. I'm talking about John Schaffner. He's a businessman. He's a pilot. He's a race car driver. And now now he's an astronaut. It's probably a shorter list to say the things that you haven't done. Uh, John, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. We're super excited to talk to you. Well, it's, it's wonderful to be here with both of you. Thank you very much. It was a wonderful thing that I just experienced and I'm happy to share you know, what I learned. Yeah, we're happy to, to glean some of your knowledge uh, of someone who experienced a private space flight because it seems like that's the way things are going to go right now for anyone who really hopes to get to space and you didn't train with you know nasa astronauts i, I would like to know what that experience was like uh you know not only the training but the day you're strapped to that rocket and then you realize it's go time yeah well <clears throat> there, there's a lot there as you might imagine um you know, I, I've dreamed of space since I was a, uh, a young boy. You know, we uh, the space race was starting in the 60s when I was growing up, and it was easy to be captivated by it, and I certainly was. So I've spent literally my entire life, you know, thinking about what it would be like to be in space, to go to space. Uh, I finally had the opportunity, <clears throat> uh, and, I, and I wanted to take full advantage of that by experiencing all of the training that NASA would offer me and allow me to take. So I was able to take... Um, the many of the same NASA astronaut courses uh, tailored a little bit for our private needs, but to experience and understand and get certifications in a lot of the major ISS systems, because I like engineering, I like the detail of that. Uh, and then the chance to act as pilot of the Dragon capsule, along with Peggy Whitson and our wonderful crew, uh, was a marvelous experience. So. Uh, we designed a lot of experiments. We did over 20 research experiments, 20 plus uh, school outreach events. Uh, you know, I personally did four live classroom events with teachers and educators. Uh, so it was a wonderful thing. And we had this marvelous, marvelous uh, design art contest where we had 930 submissions from 26 countries of art and poetry. So overall, Gigi, it was a way, way fulfilling uh, uh, mission, successful in a lot of regards, a lot of fun. I, I want to know about the conversations you have to have with your family, okay? Because <laughs> when I uh, want to go ride a motorcycle, I catch hell for it in the Austin house because it's too dangerous. You're strapping yourself to basically tons of dynamite, uh, to put it in layman's <laughs> terms, and rocketing up into space. Did you get any pushback from the family? What did people think? Well, 
actually the reverse, you know, uh, because I've had this ambition uh, in this love of space my entire life. Everyone knows me for that uh, and has always supported a lot of the interesting things that I've liked to do in my life and had the opportunity. So when I announced this and the opportunity, nobody was surprised. So everyone, <laughs> everyone, in fact, uh, it was my wife, uh, Janine, that first saw the opportunity when it came across a newswire three years ago that you could now go and train as a private astronaut. So she said simply one morning, hey, look, you can finally go to space. <laughs> so it's her idea. Yeah. It was. I, it was. I, I, I saw an interview where you said that. So I was laughing when Matt was asking if you got any pushback. It's like, not only did he not get pushback, he got pushed. He got to pushed go, forward. To go. Yeah, to go, <laughs> which is fantastic. We love the fact that, you know, you went up with Axiom 2 and you piloted the, the mission. When you are tasked with something like that, John, it has to be a surreal experience because one, you find out you're going, and this was two years ago that you really learned you were going, and then you have to get ready. What is that whole process like? Well, it <clears throat> involves many steps, as you might imagine. Uh, you know, there's the, the NASA side where they want you to be well-informed and safe. So we do lots of emergency training in order to behave and perform as safe crew on orbit. Along, along with the NASA uh, ISS station crew. So we train together, uh, we get, become familiar with each other, uh, and then we add on other experiences of learning other systems. So that takes a year, 18 months, two years uh, to complete. Uh, I trained as backup pilot for the Axiom-1 mission also, along with Peggy, who was the backup commander. So we kind of got a double dose of that, which was very helpful, because when it came time for our mission, even training at SpaceX as the flight crew, uh, we had a lot of familiarization with the systems. And I love, I love, I love systems. Uh, I've been a pilot my entire life. So uh, having a chance to exercise that thing that you love as a kid of playing around with space spaceships. I mean, who, what kid doesn't want to pilot a spaceship? Uh, it, it just gave me that opportunity to do all those things that I love. We are always taking a look at the live coverage when somebody is about to lift off in space and you're strapped down in this suit. You're not moving for a couple hours while everybody's kind of tucking you in and they're doing all the checks. I always just think I'd be claustrophobic as all get out during that moment. But I would imagine other people have different feelings. So what is it like as, uh, take me through the process of getting ready, sitting there waiting forever like you're in the dentist's office and then lifting up with that crazy amount of G-forces hitting you right in the mm -hmm. sternum? Well, there's, a, there's, there's some interesting moments you know, leading up to that. In this particular case, the Falcon 9 rocket, it loads its fuel as, at the very last stage. Uh, so you do all of your readiness prior to it loading fuel, which takes about 40 minutes. So the pilot, the crew, everyone's very active, doing a lot of things, checks up to that moment. Then you have this magical 40 minutes of loading the fuel and your job is to absolutely do nothing. So you have 40 mm -hmm. minutes. And I found this amazing the first time I realized it, that I was able to sit there for the last 40 minutes before I left the planet and think about anything I wanted. Uh, wow. Calmly, serenely. <clears throat> and we had so much training doing this that on the day of the launch, it felt just like another training exercise, uh, which is the way it's supposed to be. If you're trained and confident, then the, mm. the mission should reflect the training. <laughs>
From training to preparing for liftoff, stay with Florida's Fourth Estate as astronaut John Schaffner explains what it was actually like to reach space for the first time and the passion he wants to launch for the next generation of young explorers. Welcome back to Florida's Fourth Estate. We're sitting down with astronaut and businessman John Schaffner. He talked to us about training for the private space flight. Now, what it was actually like to lift off. The mission should reflect the training. So at the moment of liftoff, which was a bit surprising, uh, it wasn't this big explosive blast and lots of G-forces. It was this very initially gentle lift where we felt the entire vehicle just begin to rise. And we were all surprised by that, and it was lovely. It later accelerated and got a little more dramatic, but those beginning phases were, I'll never forget those. Yeah, and you know, it, most people think, hey, I'm just going to write a check and then sit on this rocket and take off. There's so much more involved to it than that, and I'm glad you explained that for us. And one of the things, John, I appreciate about you is that you know that there's so many kids, like yourself, like little 10-year-old John, who fell in love with an astronaut and was enamored with an astronaut. You know, there are kids today who really love space. And your big thing is you want them to learn as much as possible. And a big part of your mission up there was about them. Oh, that's right, Gigi. We, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> there's a lot we can do as private astronauts and to take this opportunity and to demonstrate that we, this is not just a ride, it's just not a trip. Uh, it's an opportunity to use the resources that are available to us and create awareness and create some form of conversation that demonstrates what, what space can be for us in the future, you know, what humanity's role is going forward. And, and I really, really, uh, as, as I, just as I was enamored with space when I was 10, I had to imagine that there were lots of other 10-year-olds thinking the same thing. How, what am I going to do with space? What is space like? So. I really wanted to reach as many of those as possible. And the art contest that we, that we held and displayed the art on station really helped us uh, see those young kids, have them respond. And, and it was truly amazing, uh, the response we got. Space is alive and well in the minds of young people today. Yeah, they're very excited about it. There's definitely a rejuvenation with the whole, uh, the private space industry blossoming, especially here where we live in Central Florida. I want to give you the opportunity, John, in the internet age, everybody likes to take shots, especially at folks who are doing well. Uh, you're, uh, you, you've, you've earned a lot. You're a wealthy guy. You bought your ticket onto this space flight and people just say, I, I've heard it around here. Oh, it's just more rich people going up into space, uh, you know, kind of throwing shade at you guys. What, uh, tell me, what is your response to the people out there, the internet trolls who are just constantly maybe bashing you guys for, for, for getting your ticket? Well, I, you know, I, I would ask them to look at, look at what we do on orbit. You know, we, we conduct uh, research. We, we provided access to experiment packages that would otherwise wait a long time. Uh, we act as a resource. We undertake the training and make ourselves available to scientists and researchers to do that. And then my big effort was to create a conversation so that teachers and educators and parents could look at this and say, my children would love to do this also. And we demonstrate that we're in the early days of spaceflight. 
and we have to create that bridge so that it becomes available to others. You know, when the, when aviation, commercial aviation was starting, it was hugely expensive to people at the time in the 20s. Only, only people of means could do that. But the continued effort to develop aviation, mm -hmm. just as now we want to develop space flight and the economy of low Earth orbit, there has to be a beginning. And, and the participation by people that can is hugely needed. So I did my part and I also wanted to contribute some value by creating awareness among teachers, educators, and young people that space is real and we have a place in the stars. Uh, That's John, the best answer I, I've I heard for that. that. Yeah. yeah, And I love that he took the high road because my answer would have been get out of your mom's basement and <laughs> you know, shake yeah, the cheetah off the sweatpants. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll do so it for you, John. Thank you for that classy <laughs> answer. <laughs> Which, because, you know, I loved seeing you show off the kids' pictures in, in space and it was just floating one by one and you were just introducing us to the different pieces of artwork. And I also love, John, that you were trying to put the, you know, we're talking about STEM, but you want it to be STEAM. It used to be STEAM. We had to put the arts back in there. How important is that? Well, the, the A in STEAM for STEM is, is huge. It, it's not my doing. It's, it's been spoken to many times. But art is the form of uh, origination of imagination, the bringing it forward. And so much uh, imagination is required for engineering and science in any case. For a scientist to want to reach out and develop something, they have to first imagine what they're looking for. For an engineer to build something, they, they design it in their head first. They have to imagine this. And the arts are all about that. Letting people express themselves uh, as an individual, whether that's, and we chose art or poetry, so that mm -hmm. students or people that weren't comfortable drawing what they felt could express it in words. Uh, and the art of music is there. So it's all about getting people to express what is in them, bringing their voice forward. And that's what we really want educators to start looking forward to in seeing what is in the student's heart at the age of 10 or 12 and helping them bring that vision of themselves forward. Very cool. Very cool. I like that, John. Was there a moment when you were up there? I mean, I hear a lot from astronauts who are maybe gazing back at the planet and have some sort of stir of emotion. Tell us about that moment for you if it existed. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's just now actually revealing itself to me. Uh, and I'm, I'm just now able to talk about it. And, and it's funny because, you know, as a new astronaut on board the station, one of the first things I wanted to do was hurry into the cupola, drop myself in there, look out over the planet and prepare to be moved and amazed. And mm -hmm. it was truly beautiful uh, to see the earth sliding by underneath endlessly. But this, breakthrough moment didn't happen right then. And I was a little disappointed. So, well, maybe I'll come back later on. Uh, but it still wasn't quite that thing. Uh, but I can tell you that after returning, it's slowly bringing itself to me. It's unfolding itself in a way that I could not have imagined that it's causing me this sense of longing to go back to it and to be able to speak to it. So this overview effect is real, it, but it just does not happen on a schedule. It happens to you as an individual in a way that's familiar and comfortable to you. And I can tell you that right now, all I want to do is make people aware of it, that mm. we have this beautiful planet and we have some responsibility to care for it by first caring for ourselves in a way that we can be effective in providing for its future. Uh, 
So I'm still working on the answer. Come back in a week. I'll have another. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no you, say, for I, that. I, can, I can hear emotion in your voice when you do it. And it sounds like you were ready to sign up for a, another mission. I, I would assume, well, I won't assume, but I'll ask you if you had the opportunity to do it again, would, would you do it again? Yeah, I, I can't leave before tomorrow morning, though. Uh, we're doing a couple things. But, uh, you couldn't go today because you had a very important podcast. <laughs> I, I okay. uh, no, uh, that's in, in my case, I, I would absolutely. There's plenty of work up there to do, important work, and I would, I would love a chance to do that again. Cool. What a great conversation. John Schaffner, thank you for taking the time uh, to speak with Floridians about your experience up there. And uh, very impressive, very impressive guy. Glad you got the chance to do something that most of us will will never get to do. But hopefully you're right. Hopefully it starts out where just some people get to go, a limited number, and then it sort of expands to the rest of us. Maybe Ginger yeah, and we'll, I will we'll be. come back and thank you yeah. for paving the way for the rest of us because I, I, I would go in a heartbeat. <laughs> so just well, fascinating to hear your experience. Well, thank you. We're not finished yet. We're going to continue with a, a small foundation that we're starting that's going to amplify this voice and make students and teachers more aware of the opportunities of humans in space. What, tell us the name of that foundation and how people can get involved if they're interested. Sure. It's the Perside Foundation. Uh, uh, it was founded uh, in honor of my mother who first introduced me to the Perside meteor shower when I was a young boy. Oh. And for the rest of my life, Wherever I was in the world, she would call me to remind me to go out in August and look at the Persides. Uh, so this was, she was the person that put the vision of space and that there are things beyond us that we can't imagine and that we should seek out for what's important to us. So she helped me bring my voice forward. So I want to return the favor with the uh, young people out there today by helping their mentors, their guides, uh, help them along their way. Oh my gosh. Well, you made me cry with that one. Uh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. Uh, John, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Thank you both. It's an honor to be here. Oh, our pleasure. Race car driver, pilot, successful businessman, man. astronaut, <laughs> and mama's boy. I like it. It's oh beautiful. Uh, <laughs> John, thank you so much. I'll take them all, but thank you so very much. <laughs> You've earned them. You've earned them. And thank you for watching. You can download Florida's Fourth Estate from wherever you listen to podcasts or watch anytime on News 6 Plus. And while you're there, check out this episode where we take you on an African safari right here in Central Florida. And then we have some hands-on interactive things like um, uh, lemur feeding. You can do a, uh, a cheetah encounter, which is really cool. Look at you. Wyoming and places where you're pretty. Hi. Hello. I'm going to go nice and oh, Open it up and let it fall. And the episode where we go beyond the gate of Super Nintendo World. Post. Peach's Castle. Oh, yes. Here we go. Hello. Welcome. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastical. I'm going to have Jim just pan real quick. <laughs> Give you an overshot of it. Okay. I, I get it. Coins. I like seeing the coins there. That's pretty cool. Or the episode where we explore the rift between Disney and DeSantis. The Democrats have been uh, more critical of Disney, and now we find the entire thing has swapped. It's the Republicans going after Disney, and the Democrats, uh, mainly from Orange County, 
defending Disney. It's all free. Just download the new 6 Plus app on your smart TV and keep watching.